0: Today's lesson will be uh, lesson number 66 in our study uh, series entitled Angels and Giants, Fact or Fiction. And the date stamped for today is November 6, 2022. Our uh, our purpose in this entire study series is to investigate the angels and giants that are mentioned in Scripture. And by doing so, alleviate some of the confusion that some, <coughs> some Scripture verses seem to generate. And, uh, I am no stranger to that as well. Now, some of these things that I read, uh, makes me shake my head and, and takes me back. So, uh, hopefully by doing this and going through all these, uh, I know it helps me and hopefully this is, this has been a big help to everybody that's, uh, that's heard it, whether you, uh, totally agree or not is, is uh, not the big deal. The big deal is that we search and see, and that that's what my studies are. I try to make sure that within all the within all that we do, that just prompting the the listener to search and see and not take my word for it is is what our studies are all about. So that by doing so, we all grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's that's what it's all about. Uh, last week, we continued on with our uh, look into the angels in Revelation by reviewing the six angels that are mentioned in Revelation chapter 14 and their specific roles in the apocalypse. Because uh, the revelation is the unveiling, the returning to the earth of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's what that's all about. It's what the entire apocalypse is. The revelation is. That's the unveiling of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ uh, <clears throat> in his return to the earth. So last week <clears throat> we covered chapter 14, I believe, now through verse 13. Uh, <clears throat> and That mentions three of the six angels that are mentioned in the entire chapter. So for today's study, let's continue on. With the look that we've been doing with these six angels that are mentioned in Revelation, uh, chapter 14 here. And happy birthday to Dorothea as well. I just, uh, Chico just reminded me that her birthday was last Thursday. So happy birthday to Dorothea as well. Uh, <clears throat> so I want to reread as we begin here. Let's reread Revelation chapter fourteen. Turn with me back to Revelation fourteen this morning as we get going. I want to reread verses one through thirteen so that we can keep the context moving forward as we go along. And then we'll pick up today's study with verse fourteen. And there are some interesting things that take place uh, <clears throat> in this chapter, certainly as we move forward with it. So Revelation 14.1, and I, I apologize, I hope, I pray my voice holds up for the entirety of this. I was kind of surprised that I was able to talk at all this morning, but so far so good. 14.1 says, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him a hundred and forty and four thousand having his father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. This is our our man on the scene, John, reporting back what he sees. And I like to use that analogy because in this case that is exactly what's taking place. Verse 3, And these 144,000, the they and they... Uh, <clears throat> so as it were a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the 140 and 4,000 which were redeemed from the earth. These, verse 4, the 144,000 are they which were not defiled with women <clears throat> for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, uh, being the firstfruits fruits unto God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, and they are without fault before the throne of God. So you see kind of where these 140 and 4,000 stand with God, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And I made note last week, and you may agree or disagree with this, either one, that I believe personally that these must come from those that are resurrected out of the resurrection mentioned in Ezekiel chapter 37, where God literally stands Israel up again out of the dust after a over 2,000 year sleep in the dust. That God literally stands up the whole household of Israel, not based on what they believe, not based on anything other than who they are. And I believe that these, uh, my personal belief is, if God's going to get these, that he's got to raise them back up because it says they're redeemed out of the earth. And when God raises them up, puts their spirit back in them, breathes his breath back in them, and those bones become the whole household of Israel now the 12,000 each from each tribe are taken and, uh, <clears throat> they end up being the 144,000. Uh, 12 in scripture, I believe, Jane, that number means governmental perfection. I believe the companion Bible appendix 10, uh, covers the significance of numbers, if I'm not mistaken. I'm doing all that from memory, so I could be wrong. So, Check me out, but I believe, uh, 12 is the number of governmental perfection, which is why there were 12 tribes, uh, the 12 thrones, all these things, and, and the 12 sons of Israel. I believe it all kind of goes together. So, uh, check that out. I believe it's in, uh, yeah, governmental perfection. So, uh, smoke that over. Verse 6, <coughs> Revelation 14. John says, and I saw another angel. This is the first angel mentioned in Revelation 14 of 6. John said, I saw another angel uh, fly in the midst of the heavens, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. Saying with a loud voice, verse 7, Fear God and give glory to him. For the hour of his judgment has come and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. Verse 8. And there followed another angel. These are just the angels now that are mentioned in uh, <coughs> in chapter 6. and This is the second of the, the six. There followed another angel saying Babylon is fallen. Is <coughs> fallen that great city because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And the third angel is mentioned in verse 9. The third angel followed the first two, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same, that's any man that does these things, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, And you will see that mentioned again at the end of this chapter. That same will drink of the wine of the wrath of God. And that's a a euphemism for they will experience the wrath of God. They're going to drink from that wrath just like it was wine. That's what this means by symbol and by, by type and shadow. The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God which is poured out without mixture <clears throat> into the cup of his indignation and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb is going to be tormented in the smoke of their torment we talked about this a little bit in, in verse 11 the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever and we also talked about this term in the Greek, forever and ever. And the term here <coughs> literally means unto ages of ages. Uh, when you see this term, or forever, or evermore, or everlasting, or forever and ever, anytime you see a related term like this in the King James Bible, you have to immediately turn back to the proper appendix and get it identified as to which form in the Greek, Koine Greek, you're actually looking at so that you know what the term really means. This one means, as Tony's posted, unto ages of ages. Now, as we mentioned, an age has a beginning and an end. So it's the smoke that <clears throat> of their torment that ascendeth up forever and ever, not the torment. I want to make that clear. The smoke ascends up to the age of the ages. And they had no rest day nor night. Who worship the beast in his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name, the mark of the beast. We talked about that a little bit, I believe, in chapter 13, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, <clears throat> verse 12. Here's the patience of the saints, John says. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Verse 13. John goes on to say, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Right, Blessed are the dead <clears throat> which died in the Lord from henceforth, or from this point forward. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their rewards, not their works, but their rewards do follow them. There is a reward attached to those that die in, in the Lord from that point forward, saith the Spirit of God, through the mouth of John. So you see the the chronology of these events and how they unfold. And John doesn't really present these things in what I would call a true chronological order, but they're presented in in an order in which they're being shown to John. So remember that as you go through the book of of the Revelation. Putting the events of the Revelation into a chronological order is not a small chore, but it can be done. So remember that. So we'll pick up here this morning with our study uh in verse fourteen. Let me blow my <coughs> try to get some relief here, and then we'll move on. Let's start with verse fourteen this morning in the the Revelation chapter fourteen. John goes on <coughs> and he says, And I looked, and behold. Uh, a white cloud. So he looks and he says, "Behold, a white cloud." And upon the cloud, uh, <clears throat> the translators add the one there. Anytime you see in the Companion Bible a word added in italics, it means it's been added to the text by the translators. That wasn't there in the in the oldest version of the manuscript that this was translated from but he says I looked and behold a white cloud and upon the cloud one sat like unto the son of man having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle so look at the notes on on verse 14 there uh, the word sat should be sitting. He looked and behold a white cloud and upon the cloud one sitting as in the present tense, like unto the son of man. Now this, this term son of man as it's used here, this is the last occurrence of this title as it's used in the scripture. Turn with me back if you would. <coughs> To Appendix number 98 in the back of the Companion Bible. If you have a Companion Bible. There's part of this that we absolutely have to read, I believe, to understand this term, Son of Man. Now, Appendix 98 has to do, it deals with the divine names and titles in the New Testament that are used for God, for the the Son of God, and for deity. Even the Holy Spirit. So, Appendix 98 deals with all these different titles, the way they're used, how they're applied, and so forth. But I want to read this first portion of Appendix 98 so that you can understand kind of where we're coming from with this term, the Son of Man, as it's used in verse 14 here. (coughs) The Appendix says this title, and this is part number... uh, 16, Roman numeral 16, it says the Son of Man. This title, when used of Christ, always has the article, and the word for man is Anthropos. It says, see Appendix 123, part 1, or part I, for Anthropos. So it's the Son of Man. Not a Son of Man, but the Son of Man. That's important to note that it's used with the article. It says, when used of a human being, as in Ezekiel, it, ne- it never has the article. Uh, it says, see notes on Psalm 8, 4, and Ezekiel 2, 1. Uh, to the first man, Adam, <coughs> it says, was given dominion over the works of the Creator, as it says in Genesis one twenty six.
1: Through the fall,
0: as it's noted in Genesis 3, This dominion was forfeited. Remember, Adam forfeited his dominion over the earth. This dominion was forfeited and lost and is now in abeyance. Just like the kingdom of heaven is held in abeyance, the dominion of man over the earth is held in abeyance. No one son of Adam, (coughs) having any right, to universal dominion. That's a good thing to note. There is no man alive who has universal dominion over the entire earth. It says, Hence all the chaos uh, and the unrest and conflicts between men and nations, which, most, uh, which must continue until he shall come, whose right it is to rule in the earth, as it says in ezekiel twenty one twenty seven that is a very good point, <clears throat> and I really hope my voice can hold out until I get through this. I know it's probably not very pleasant to listen to. This great enemy who wrote all the mischief at the fall, has tried from time to time to exercise this authority by setting up some human head. Listen, he tried with Nebuchadnezzar. Satan tried to unify the earth with Nebuchadnezzar. He tried with Alexander the Great and others, and in the latter days he even tried with Napoleon. To this date, no single man has ever been put in charge of the earth as total dominion again. Have you ever heard the term one world government? It still goes on today within certain circles. There are forces in our, in our world. Thank you, Greg. There are forces in our world that try to unify our world into one world go- government even today. And all this globalism that you hear about is mostly satanically based. And I'll just say that right up front without any shame whatsoever. All of these attempts to, to make everything global to where we're all under one big leader is under no influence whatsoever but that of the, the prince of evil. And I can't say that plainly enough. And our government, sadly enough, plays into this at most every hand that we turn. They're playing right into the hands of Satan, along with doing it. So he tried with Nebuchadnezzar, he tried with Alexander the Great, he tried with Napoleon and others. But he will finally succeed for a brief period with the Antichrist, until the second man, the last Adam, as it says in 1 Corinthians fifteen forty-five,
1: the Son of
0: Man to whom all dominion in the earth has in the counsels of God been given, shall take unto him his great power and reign. Satan will finally succeed in unifying the earth under the Antichrist until Christ himself returns and crushes him. That's fact, according to the Scripture. Some very good notes in the Companion Bible here. I don't know if you've ever read this or not, but you really need to take heed of this and be aware of what's going on around you in the world today within our own government and the governments of other nations. The more you hear them preach, we need to all be unified, the more you better push back because that's where we're heading. You're literally helping to usher in the, the Antichrist himself. It says, All this and more is contained in his title as the Son of Man. Its first occurrence is in Psalm chapter 8 where in verse 1 and 8 his connection with the earth is proclaimed and dominion over it is given to him. It denotes him who is the heir of all things in virtue, of which all things shall one day be put under his feet. It says, but now we see not yet all things put under him, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. This is from Hebrews. We see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, humbling himself unto death, even the death of the cross. That's from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. The Companion Bible goes on to say in support of this, the occurrences and distribution of this title, the Son of Man in the New Testament, are full of significance. They're full of significance and they are full of instruction. And I couldn't say that any better myself. Very good part of the Companion Bible there that we need to heed. And that's what it means here in verse 14 when it says the Son of Man. This is the last occurrence of this term uh, as being used in the New Testament. Let's read it again. Revelation fourteen fourteen. And I looked and behold a white cloud <coughs> and upon the cloud one sitting like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. Christ is the one who will wear the golden crown. It's him. Our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus. Now, let's read on. Verse 15. And another angel. John just continually sees angel after angel After angel in this chapter. Another angel came out of the temple. And I think it's important to know where these angels come from. Who they're talking to. What they do. And so forth. So you notice that this angel comes out of the temple. Crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud. Ah. This angel speaks directly to the son of man himself who's sitting on the cloud. This is interesting. Well, what is he telling? Here's what he tells him. Remember the one on the cloud has a sickle and he tells him the fifth angel or the fourth angel. I'm sorry. Here in verse 15, this is the fourth angel and he tells the one on the cloud with a sharp sickle. He says, thrust in thy sickle and reap. This is figurative language. It's symbolic language for literally the earth and dominion of the earth being taken back, being reaped.
1: Thrust in thy
0: sickle and reap. For the time is come for thee to reap. You see that? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. The time is come. The day of judgment is here, is what this means. For the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud, thrust in his sickle, on the earth, (coughs) and the earth was reaped now that one term within itself has tons of significance and I I don't even I can't even begin to get into all the significance that this one statement probably carries with it but it is extremely significant when it says the earth is reaped when Christ is reaping the earth with a sharp sickle that's a lot of reaping. I don't know all the details that go along with this, but it would certainly make a good study. I'll promise you that. Let's look at verse 17. Now, uh, go back before we get too far. Uh, <clears throat> I wanted you to note that the fourth angel speaks directly to Christ himself as he sits on the cloud. Guess what? If I'm correct, we as the members of the body of Christ, I want you to think about this, we'll be sitting on that cloud as the body of the completed son when these things are taking place. Have you ever thought about that? That as the events of the book of the Revelation unfold, I believe that the church, the body of Christ, that completes Christ, that happens at the Epiphania in the heavenly places, I believe that's a done deal at the point where we are here. I believe the things that John is seeing all take place after the body of Christ is manifested there with our head and he is complete. So we will have go. a ringside seat, as the uh, the wrestling attendees like to say, or the boxing attendees. You've got a ringside seat to these events that are unfolding. Well, the gathering there and the reaping is uh, all symbolic have, language. All symbolic of, of a, for judgment of a of a bringing in. Right? He's gathering that dominion together again. That's why you won't see the term son of man anymore. Yeah. Because man now has taken charge of all the earth and all creation once again. So he's complete. It's done. The reaping is done. That's that would the be The judgment a... is done. <clears throat> yeah, that I think that would be the uh, feeling for the Roma, right? Well, we're we are the fullness of him who is going to fill all in all. We've already filled him at this point, but he's in the process of filling all in all. What you're reading, I believe, in the book of the Revelation is the process of the Lord Christ Jesus fulfilling all the prophetic prophecies dealing with the kingdom and all the other things that have to deal with creation one at a time right down through the book of the Revelation. Not in chronological order, I may add. But you're seeing, John witness what is going to take place when all is being fulfilled. You know, when <clears throat> when Paul says in First Corinthians 15, we see not yet all things put under his feet. Okay. Or that's in Hebrews. We will fill him so that he can begin The filling of all things. So that once again, when it's all said and done, God will be all and he will be in all. And all will be complete. Hopefully everybody sees kind of the progression of what's taking place here. But I did want to point out that as these things occur, what we're reading in verse 15... Verse 16, verse 17. I believe, and this is my belief, I believe that we will have a ringside seat to these events as members of his body. Because where the body goes, the head goes. Where the head goes, the body goes. What the head knows and sees, the body sees and so on. You see what I'm saying? That we are intimately connected to this even though this is not our hope. Our hope by this time, on my timetable at least, has already been completed and fulfilled. I believe that the manifestation of the Lord Jesus Christ in the heavenlies to show them the manifold wisdom of God is complete, and then, and only then, does Christ begin the redemptive work in the rest of creation we must feel him if you don't believe that look at all the filling that goes on in Ephesians and Colossians there's a lot of filling going on there we're working toward pleroma of the son so that the son can work toward pleroma of all things all creation and without us doing what we do <clears throat> in the filling of the son by the will of god then nothing else takes place i don't think it only makes sense to me that God will deal with his son in full completeness and perfection. If he needs his body in the heavenlies to be complete, then how can God use him to complete other things if the son himself is not complete? I mean, to me, it makes, it makes perfect sense. Makes sense. At least to me. And you can agree or disagree. I'm running out of time. Let's move on. Verse 17, and another angel, this is angel number five, came out of the temple which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. Man, there's a lot of sharp sickles being, uh, being tossed around here in this. And another angel, verse, uh, 18, lists out angel number six. So 17 has angel number five for verse 14. 18 has Angel number 6 for verse 14.
1: So another angel, verse 18, came out
0: from the altar. One comes out from the temple. Another comes out from the altar. Is it important where these angels come from? I think so. Else it would all be the same. And it would be listed the same. But John is so specific in his record here of what took place that he tells you specifically where they come from. Which is amazing and cried with a loud voice to him that had the sharp sickle. Uh, and I believe that one to be, uh, the fifth angel. Uh, he cried with a loud voice to him that had the sharp sickle or angel number five. And he told him, thrust in thy sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth for her grapes are fully ripe. Now, There's something else about angel number 6 I want you to think about for a minute. And I missed it going through. When you read that verse in verse 18, it says, And another angel came out from the altar which had power over fire. That's the angel that has power over the fire in the original text. The fire. We say, Roddy, what's the difference in fire and the fire? Oh, is there a big difference? Turn with me, if you would, back to Leviticus chapter 10. Turn with me to Leviticus 10. I want to read you something that will blow your mind if you haven't already seen this before. There are two kinds of fire. There is holy fire. And there are all other kinds of fire. You say, well, what's the difference? One comes from God. The other comes from man. I don't know if you've ever noticed this or, or seen this. Let's read Leviticus chapter 10. I want to read you verses 1 through 7. If you've never seen this, this will absolutely blow your mind. This angel that we're talking about, angel number 6 in chapter 14 of Revelation, he evidently is over the fire. The holy fire. The fire of God. Read Leviticus ten one with me. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron. Now, Aaron had four sons. This is the brother of Moses, Aaron. He was the... Went over all the Levitical priesthood. Remember? He had four sons. Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer, and they put fire therein, and put incense thereon, <coughs> and offered strange fire. Have you ever seen that? Did you know that there was a difference in fires? Pretty amazing, isn't it? And they offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. Look what happened. Verse 2. And there went out fire, fire from the Lord, no doubt from angel number 6. There went out fire from the Lord and devoured them. So Aaron immediately loses two out of four sons. Just like that. There went out fire from the Lord and devoured them and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said unto Aaron, Moses has to remind him. Well, they, God told you. Moses said, this is it. That the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me. And before all people I will be glorified. And see, when the two sons brought the strange fire, God was not glorified. And the law was broken. And they paid the price with their lives. A human spontaneous complacency. Oh, you you ain't seen nothing yet. Let's read on And before all people I will be glorified, and Aaron held his peace. Aaron knew that they were in the wrong, so he didn't say a word. said he held his peace. And Moses called Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron. And he said unto them, Come near. Listen to this. Carry your brethren from before the sanctuary out of the camp. Carry them outside the camp. This is when they were in the wilderness. So they appointed two more to go in and get what was left. And carry them out of the camp. Let's read on, verse 5. So they went near. Listen to this. They went near and carried them in their coats out of the camp, as Moses have said. What was left of them after the fire of God devoured them was left in their coats. No doubt just ashes. The coats were not damaged. Is that not amazing? The coats were not burned. They were not damaged. These guys are just piles of ashes. After the fire of God, not strange fire, holy fire. When the holy fire came down and devoured them, it was a total different scenario. And they carried their ashes out in their coats. It literally sucked the, it sucked the flesh completely out and left ashes. But the coats were not even burned. That's how God works. As Moses had said. Verse six, and Moses said unto Aaron, and unto Eleazar, and unto Ithamar, his sons. There's two left. He said, Uncover not your heads, neither rend your clothes, lest ye die, and lest wrath come upon all the people. But let your brethren, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning which the Lord hath kindled. Let them all mourn, over these that the Lord hath kindled. He says, And you shall not go out from the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, lest ye die. For the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you, and they did according to the words of Moses. And listen, when they did according to the words of Moses, they lived. When they did their own thing, they died. Just like they did here. This is special fire. This is not strange fire. Turn with me uh, to Numbers chapter 3, just in relation to this. Just a few pages over and I'm almost done here. Numbers chapter 3. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. It's right after Leviticus. Numbers chapter 3. I want to read you the first uh, first few verses. Let's read 1 through 4 of Numbers 3. These also, it says, are the generations of Aaron and Moses in the day that the Lord spake with Moses in Mount Sinai. And these are the names of the sons of Aaron. Nadab, the firstborn, and Abihu, and Lazar, and Ithamar. Those are the four sons of Aaron. The first two that I just mentioned are dead as of this point. They died in the fire. These are the names of the sons of Aaron, the priests which were anointed, whom he consecrated to minister in the priest's office. Look at verse 4. And Nadab and Abihu died before the Lord when they offered strange fire before the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai And they had no children. And Eleazar and Ithamar ministered in the priest office in the side of Aaron their father. They died where they were. Back to Revelation chapter 14. I just wanted to point that out where it says in 18, And another angel came out from the altar which had power over the fire. So if anything is going to be sacrificed, it's going to be on the altar. And it makes sense that the angel of fire would come out of the altar, at least to me. That, that tends to make perfect sense to me. So let's read on. I just wanted to, wanted to make that point about the angel that holds the fire. He came out and he cried with a loud cry. To him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, this is the angel number five, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. Now, here again, we're not talking about grapes. We're not talking about a wine press. These are all symbolic language for what's actually going on. A lot of bloodshed. What's going on is the blood. Remember when we did our study on blood that God knows where all the blood is? Let's read on. <clears throat> and the angel verse nineteen thrust in a sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth. Ooh. The vine is that vine of men growing out of the earth and cast it into the great wine press. Of the wrath of God. Everybody knows what a wine press is, right? They would pile all the grapes in there. And then they put a lid on it with a screw. And as they turn the screw, the wine press gets tighter and tighter and tighter. And it mashes the grapes until the juice comes out. That's what they're after. They're after the blood of the grapes. And it comes out the grooves and the holes in the bottom of the wine press. That's the picture that John is drawing of all these people that are going into the wine press and, and it's not grape juice coming out. It's blood. Let's read on. So all of those are thrust into the great, thrust into the great wine press of God and the wine press was trodden. Without this, outside the city. Just like the two bodies are taken outside the camp, the wine press is trodden outside the city. And blood came out of the wine press. It's not grape juice. It's blood. Blood came out of the wine press even under the horse bridles. You know how tall a horse bridle is off the ground? About head high close to it. yeah, for a normal shoulder. five six feet. So blood came out even to the horse bridles by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. Wow, that is a lot of blood. You know how many people it takes to make that much blood? That's a lot of blood, and a lot of people, and a very large wine press that they're in. And I know this is all symbolic language. Yes, two hundred two yards, but that is a um, a furlong is about two hundred two English yards. So by the space of a thousand and six hundred for sixteen hundred furlongs, that's times two hundred two. English yards. Tony says it's 214,120 yards. You do the conversion. Convert that to miles. That's a lot of blood. That's a lot of blood. And I hate to end on such a note, but that's where the chapter ends. So I'm glad we got the rest of chapter 14 in today. Just barely squeaked it in. But uh, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you also learned a little bit. If you didn't learn anything else, hopefully you learned a little bit about the fire, how that there's, uh, there's God's fire and there's strange fire. And only one of the fires was acceptable for God. And, uh, I think we've seen where that fire comes from. There was literally an angel that kept that fire. And, uh, to me that made, that makes a lot of sense through the whole thing, wasn't it? Quite likely, but not consumed. This special fire is a fire from God that can do... It's not just oxidation like we know fire. This is special fire. Very special fire. It's like what Moses seen in the bush when it was on fire. That's what Steph was saying. Yeah. Yeah. Probably so. And it's also the fire that came down from heaven and devoured... Remember the... uh, uh, was Elijah that was uh, built the altar and he put the rocks on there and he had them drench it with water mm-hmm. and the fire came down and eat everything just burned it all up took it all away. It's the same fire. I believe it to be that same fire. Good question. So thank you, folks. God bless you. Thank you for being with us again. I hope you I hope you enjoyed the study and uh, got a little bit out of it. Be with us and we'll close. Uh, Father, we thank you for this day again. We thank you for preserving our voice through the study. thank you for all things that we have in Christ, especially the realization constantly of what our hope is, Father, and how it relates back to your word and to the events that we read in it. God, we're so thankful for the gift of right division, Father, for the key, to help understand the scripture and discern it, and rightly divide it according to your word in Second Timothy, God. Thank you so much. We thank you for those that come this way today and we pray that they were blessed by that that they heard. Father, we pray that the things that were said and done, were said and done uh, for the uplift and for the glorification of him that sat on the cloud or will sit on the cloud. Father, for the Lord Jesus Christ around who everything rotates and in whom is all power. Father, thank you so much for Christ and for that precious blood of his. Thank you for the hope That we have in Him. For us in Christ's name today. We only pray. Amen.